Hi Bee Tribe and welcome back to What's the Buzz? I sit down with Steph, Steve Fuller and Simon from Save the Bees. We discuss the current rise in AFB cases across Australia and the illegal use of antibiotic use. We also discuss certain swarm management and answer some of your questions in regards to Varroa. Sit down, it's a long one, as we deep dive into what's going on in our beekeeping industry across Australia. Hi guys, and welcome back to What's the Buzz? I know we've been a little bit radio silent the last couple of weeks, but your girl got really sick and I lost my voice, which is a tragedy when it comes to me and I can't talk bees. So I am glad to be able to come back and talk to our special guest. So we have our girl in pink, Steph. How are you going? Good, how are you? <laughs> Good. And we've got our two special guests. We've got Simon from Save the Bees. How are you going, Simon? It's good, thanks, Alison. That's good, and we've also got our favourite guest, Steve Fuller. How you doing, Steve? Oh, I'm really well, Ali. Yourself? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. So, good. what has um, our last podcast? We really kind of just discussed on, you know, roller management and uh, movement into that. We had a couple of questions. Um, has there been any updates? Any further updates that we aren't aware of and need to know? Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll walk you right through that. But first off, what a lot of people with the Varroa um, eradication program or plan, what a lot of people are being confused about now, they're hearing this transition to management and wondering why, um, what's going on, what's happening here and there. So to put everything in the perspective, there is three areas to a plan or this plan. So there'll be eradication. Mm -hmm. Then we're going to have transition to management and then we're going to have management. So really the only difference at the moment is transition to management. The only difference is they're not eradicating hives anymore. As of the 20, yeah, as of the 25th of October, all eradication stopped. Mm -hmm. Now, as for surveillance, that is continuing, and that will continue until at least September next year. Okay. Now, once we hit September next year, we will go into full management. So in the meantime, we are, um, let's say, um, there's a heap of um, chemicals that can be now used, and I'm going to put that up on the crop pollination webpage, if that's okay yeah um that's uh, and if people want to import their own chemicals what they've got to do is get a another permit so you can't just go to new zealand because it's cheaper and get the chemicals you've got to have a permit to import these chemicals as well right so as for the update now i was in a high level biosecurity meeting yesterday so this has come at a great time and I'll give you the information that I can give you. Mm-hmm. And this is the latest. Oh, we got so, the scoop, guys. We got the buzz. Yeah. So uh, this is the, um, there's been 41 enforcement action notices. So 28 penalty notice, three biosecurity directions and five warning letters, five prosecutions. Um. This is what's been carried through. We've heard different figures of what's happened. Um, 
there throughout this whole area now we have 13,681 recreational beekeepers and we have 1,326 declared commercial beekeepers. Out of that, there is, as I say, um, there is actually two live investigations into the importation of illegal bees. Okay. Um, where that's going to go, we don't know. Um, now, since we've moved to the um, transition to management, there's been 10,350 hive movement permit declarations and there's been 58,953 hives verified as clean. Okay. So in some areas we, we're we still holding our breath, hoping that we don't find out more mite um, bombs are going to go off like Kempsey. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do believe that there is some sneaking around out there. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. yeah. All in all, um, with figures. Well, yeah, that was a great rundown. And I guess, um, you know, we've spoken to this at length um, in the last few podcasts we've done together. But I think the people out there are, are scared about the borders still, the Queensland beekeepers and... Victorian beekeepers, interstate, um, you know, travel still allowed under a permit system? No. No. Okay, there is a permit system in place, but I have not heard of a beekeeper being granted a permit from New South Wales into Queensland, Victoria, South Australia or ACT. Mm -hmm. Right. at the moment, we do have a very large issue because we are firmly fixed on varroa mite at the moment and we're missing another biosecurity problem that is creeping up on us. Now, I'm just going to go to New Zealand for a little while. And what happened in New Zealand was they focused on varroa, varroa, varroa and AFB built up, built up, built up until it become an absolute problem over there now. It is absolutely ripe over there. Now, through this whole, I don't like calling it um, an incursion, but through this whole um, last 18 months, we have seen some really heavily infected AFB apries, and nothing was done about them. Mm-hmm. So... One of the big flags that went up yesterday is just because we're focused on something, don't forget about small hive beetle and AFB on the sidelines. Yeah. So we're... Well, um, just on the AFB thing, and, and, and yep. you'll be able to give some feedback here, um, some commercial beekeepers were sort of implying to me Varroa, like the eradication program was actually good for New South Wales bees because they, people with apiaries that contained AFB were just putting their hands up to say, you know, come and, come and knock them off and give us the dough. Yep. Um, 
So w- wouldn't the AFB situation be better better now that those guys? But that well, it shouldn't. To... That that shouldn't. It shouldn't be the case. If you have uh, if you have AFB biosecurity standards, so you have to deal with it immediately. So if you didn't deal with it immediately, you'd get a fine from biosecurity for that. No, but like we know that doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know. You know, if you girls know this, and and um, I think. You know, definitely, um, Steve would know this that although you're not legally meant to treat your AFB hives with um, antibiotics and keep them going, a hell of a lot of beekeepers do. Well, see, well, um, that's what's wrong. People in Australia aren't. I know. Like, if if there's beekeepers that are doing that, um, they're mm-hmm. putting the rest of us at risk, hence why the risk. person that brought in Varroa, they've put the whole rest of Australia at risk. So if you're not following biosecurity standards, you should be pulled up immediately anyway. Look, what about that guy a couple of years back that sold like 30,000 hives, all infected with AFB? He got sent sentenced to jail, didn't he? No, I don't think anyone's going to jail. But not, not for AFB, no. Um, Not... But maybe they ought to have, but yeah. um, it, it, it's, a, it's a tricky one. People get desperate. I don't know. Like I, it, there was a great um, article written in the ABK the other year, and he, he called um, teramycin, which is antibiotics, Ollie's lolly. I don't mm-hmm. know if you heard that. So yeah. apparently there's some guy, Ollie, in, in Queensland, organic beekeeper that sells teramycin to all the beekeepers. And he, he was explaining in this article that there's no way you could run the almond industry without um, and uh, treating with teramycin before the bees go there. And um, what do you call it? Um, yep. Prophylactic or whatever. When, when, when you apply the antibiotics even before you go there, so just in case you do have it. Yeah, and apparently and, and it's a, yeah. Sorry, Colin, keep going. Yeah, apparently it's a standard. A lot of these guys with more than say five thousand hives or more will, if they're going to go to the almonds, they'll they'll use teramycin before going, and yeah. um, and you know, like then then like how that how that doesn't circulate through into the honey and into the consumer is, is a really difficult one that Steve might Well, see, to... that's why I thought it wasn't, it was illegal to treat um, in Australia. You can't, they are illegally treating. Um, they would get done for that. Um, there is no way, so biosecurity... No, well, the argument, Australia. the argument they would have would be it's AFB that we were doing. It wasn't, it wasn't right. AFB. Yeah, it, it is a major, major issue. So, um, in Victoria, EFB is rampant in a sense, and they blanket dose twice a year for EFB. And what Simon is saying about the almonds is along the line. So a lot of people say the almond industry is what destroyed the bee industry. Uh, the problem is that, like, if someone wishes to use something like this, I just wish they would put their hand up and be honest about it. So it's the dishonesty that I don't like. Now, when when I when you say okay, it does not cure AFB. It ne- will never ever cure AFB. It masks AFB. So as soon as you stop feeding, 
it means that your hives will start breaking down. Now, I have been told that if you test for it correctly under the right system, if you are blanket dosing every six months, then you will actually pick it up. And the reason why it's illegal in Australia, it is an S4 antibiotic. And we use it in a lot of, um, I can't pronounce the proper name of it, but anyway, um, it's oxyterocetylene or whatever it's called anyway. Um, and we use it in our antibiotics. And the thing is, if we keep using small doses in honey, when it comes to us, we could be building up super germs. Wow. So that's, that's the thing. So it's an antibiotic that's used in humans as well. But you could rock in tomorrow and um, uh, what's the name? It, uh, well, you know, I think it was used for pink eye and um, uh, what's the name? No, the, um, there's a few, few different areas that it was used in, um, in cattle. So it's quite easy to get. It's quite and pigs, yeah. You say pigs. pigs, yeah. Um, so what I've been told is that um, a lot of these commercial beekeepers will say that you know their their pigs have got pink eye. Give me that teramycin, and and then it's it's been a well known secret in the industry, yeah. and this is probably global, not just Australia. I got a very hard time when sort of I released that information. It was dur during the process that I was getting sued. Um, I was saying that there are, you know, chemicals hitting Australian um, honeys and and everyone's onto it. And That's right. it, it's, it's a, you know, it, it's meant to be. And like, uh, I, I think Steve would agree here, like, well, we have to, set standards of, of honey out there. And if someone has got the ability to not use teramycin or antibiotics or withholds from going to the almonds and, and, um, and, and getting subjected to chemicals, they should be able to get a higher price for their honey. 100%. Now am I thinking, did I get mismanaged hives that had AFB or did I get mismanaged hives, I fixed them up and then they've caught AFB from, yep. you know, the, well, the locals down the street. You know, they're, they're on the same street as my site that um, I put those hives down and I've got multiple hives and sites on that one street um, because yep. it's like a, a bang, 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 big areas um, yeah, so now I'm double thinking now. Well, um, to, to actually alleviate your fears there, Steph, mm. right, with AFB, this is like one of the worst conceptions you can have is actually blame someone else. Yeah. Right. Now, what actually happens is the bees have got to go and get that honey. So they've got to have eight spores before they're 24 hours old. Otherwise, once the, once the, once the larvae has hatched, and it's over 24 hours, it can't catch AFB. So they've got to be fed AFB honey in that first 24 hours, otherwise, and it's got to be eight spores or more. Yeah. So what happens when you see a lot of AFB is usually winter and onwards. So what happens is the bees go and collect a lot of honey. Now, when we, they, sorry, bees go and collect a lot of nectar. Now, that nectar gets mixed around. It can be mixed together and it's stored. 
after that, stored honey can be in that hive for a couple of years. Could be years, could be 10 years before they open it up and feed it to the larvae. Yeah. So you could have had AFB in your hive or that neglected hive for two years or whatever before they needed to open those stores. So I think yeah. that they're coming back with fresh nectar and they're feeding their larvae, but they're only giving them one spore here, one spore there. They will survive. But this other honey that's been locked up is the spores are more concentrated. Yeah, so, and see, that's what I put it down to because the, they were mismanaged hives yeah. um, just in turmoil. So there was no question in doubt. I was like, oh, you know, they've come with it and, you know, it took them six to eight months to, to show, um, but yeah. that's pretty pretty average. Um, you don't, like when you, you know, get a hive, you six to eight months is pretty normal for something like that to show up. That's right, yep, yep. Um, so that's what I put it down to. But I am on a street full of commercials that I definitely know go to harm and pollination. Yeah, and look, yeah. You're, you're right. And the biggest problem, and this comes to Varroa as well and with the response and all this sort of stuff, AFB is completely manageable, right? It means you have to work your bees. You can't be a lazy oh, yeah. beekeeper. And this is, 100%. Yeah, and this is what gets me just because – oh, gee whiz, I want to have X amount of hives. That is not the key to it. The key to is having clean, healthy hives. Yeah. They will make you more honey, more pollination than having sick, diseased hives. Oh, yes. Yeah, sure. They're blanket so, dosing then. Like, yeah. They're, they're like, you know, I don't want to be a whistleblower in the industry. Um, I hear that... That's just like if you've got more than a 1,000 hives, you've just got a blanket dose. Well, I can say I don't, but I have 25 employees. Mm -hmm. Right? So you've got to have the right number of employees to the right hives that you have. And that's what I'm saying. If you want to try and run an operation, it's a bit like, hey, if you want to be a big supermarket and only have two checkouts, you've got to have self-service, don't you? So in other words, you're sacrificing quality service to have quantity volume of customers coming through. Um, and that's the same as beekeeping. Like It, it annoys me, and you're not a whistleblower, Simon, uh, in my books. It's just a reality check, and this is the whole thing. If, if beekeepers want to be beekeepers, let's get a reality check and be beekeepers. Work your hives properly, and that way none of these biosecurity issues will be passed on to the next person. But we, we, are we, it, it's not possible to think we could get rid of AFB in Australia, is it? Oh, no. Well, it is so prevalent. That, um, that's exactly right. It's, it's everywhere. Yeah. Uh, there's gear like uh, I've been to farms and someone will turn around and say, oh, my dad used to have hives over the back. And next minute you go up the back and there's a shed full of equipment. Hasn't been touched for 30, 40 years. Wow. You don't know what that equipment holds. But if mm. someone who doesn't know about beekeeping go, oh, I'm going to start beekeeping, they could start AFB all off again. And then they go, well, I put my hives next to that person. They give me AFB. They don't realise the old equipment still carries the AFB spores. Oh, yeah. And you 
you see that in beekeeping groups where someone's like oh I took over this house and um they must have had an old beekeeper who we found all this equipment and anyone want to buy it and you see that so often so often that's right I know but I I do see see that but uh, I think more of a risk than that is some of these commercial beekeepers that like all of us are probably struggling for for money that think I know I've got an AFB problem, but I need really need to go to the almonds. So I'm going to dose, I'll go there and then I'll, and then I'll spread my hives out around, you know, the coast of Australia. And, you know, like, so I've always known that issue was there. Mm. But, but that's then, not doing the right thing. Sacrifice no, everyone Varel- else for your own livelihood. If you can't do it, don't do it. Like find yeah. another job. There is so many jobs on the line at the moment because no one wants to work. If you don't want to work your bees properly and you're worried about money, go into a, uh, another revenue because you don't want to risk everyone else's livelihood. Exactly. Like I'm a full-time beekeeper and I've only got 80 hives, right? But yep. You know, the same goes for me. If I had AFB in my every year, like at the end of the day, you've well, got to... Yeah, these, and, and, and when I felt deeply about this issue and I thought about it a lot, I'm like, if a beehive should never actually be moved. Like that, that's, that's the way it evolved was bees weren't meant to be moved around as a creature. And so that is, you know, like... And I was naive enough when I started to think that was a possibility. Yep. But I realise now that, you know, like, I've, and, and it's reluctantly realised that we have this food system that um, is is now become reliant on bees being moved around. And, and while that's the case, Varroa is going to spread and, and so is AFB. But the, the thing I'm naive about with AFB is because I know they go into apiaries and you measure how much AFB spores are amongst the honey. A honey and test, thing, yeah. The honey test. One thing I was first shocked at was the honey on the supermarket shelf can hold AFB yeah. and yep. you're allowed to sell it. Yep. So immediately we're stuffed because people feed lorikeets yep. or Whatever else. That's why me and Ali are such big advocates for not leaving honey out. You know, do not feed, yeah. you know, do not feed the birds. Yeah, do not but, feed but, the bees honey. But people, do, but no one's going to listen. You know, like pe- people are, are, are doing it anyway. And I like early on in my, my, you know, beekeeping journey, someone said, never leave your hives too close to a rubbish tip because people throw out honey and, you know, there might be that little bit of a Lowry or an old, you know, Capilano container left out in the tip and, and the bees will forage on it and and you'll get AFB that way. Um, I don't know how, how serious it is because someone else told me that most commercial, bar- uh, uh, um, most commercial apiaries will have a tiny amount of um, spores in them but it's only if your spores reach to a certain amount that that becomes an issue. Now, is that right, Steve? Yeah, look, Simon, everything you're hitting around is exactly right. But it comes back to that 24 hours, eight spores. It's really hard to to give 
AFB to a hive, right? Our biggest problem, our biggest spread of AFB is beekeepers and equipment, right? And that's what I'm saying. Bees don't come back when they're collecting nectar and start feeding their young. That nectar's got to be mixed with pollen. It's got to be given to their young as a, um, a proper supplement. Otherwise, they're only getting either carbohydrates or they're only getting protein. They mix it, they give it bee bread, or they give it royal jelly. So that's why that, that 24 hour is really cr very, very crucial. The thing as I keep on saying that the bees is the beekeeper is the biggest problem. They grab a frame out, they don't check the frame properly, they put it in, bang, it's off and running. Or they don't know where the gear come from. Oh yeah, it'll be right, it's, it looks clean. And these are all the biggest spreaders. So when you come down to being next to a rubbish tip, unless you're tipping gallons down, the, um, it's going to be very hard to actually collect it from there. Oh, well, that's good to hear. Yeah. Um, um, even even sitting frames, and I don't know about you, I I don't wear a bee suit, um, but I'll lean a frame against my leg when I'm, I, I squat next to the box, rah, rah, rah. But even then, there is no – there's been – I think one case has been reported it was or something like that where the beekeeper has lent a frame against his leg or it's come off his clothes. Now, people will say, oh, what about swarms? Well, usually a hive, and sorry if I'm going around this the wrong way, guys, but I'm just trying to cover everything in AFB for us. Uh, usually a hive that is riddled with AFB becomes too weak to swarm. There is no reported cases of a swarm ever containing AFB. I'm so glad you've said that. Yeah, so it, that was one thing I did notice. Sorry to stop you there. Um, when my high, when I detected AFB, I literally said to myself, something is not right. Something yeah. is wrong. I literally Thanks. find coon like picked at every damn cell and I found a handful. So it wasn't even an odour. I found a handful yep. of AFB cells, so that's quite, you know, early, I would assume. And my yes. hive was so low in numbers, I literally said something is wrong. So you're definitely right there because, yeah, when, when, and I've had five, so five cases, and each case I was like something is wrong. That's right. Yeah. Now, if, if a bee happens to, and let's just go into the dynamics of a swarm, so when a hive goes to swarm, and let's say it's in an apron, they usually fly up and down an apron gathering all the bees that are coming back. And let's say a bee has got AFB spores in its stomach. When they land and they start to build wax, they utilise that honey. So they eat the honey and they secrete the spores out in their faeces, right? That way it's not fed because there's no young to feed. All they're trying to do yeah. is build a nest. Because, see, that's where it becomes a problem when the AFB spores are popped into the brood cells and that's, that's where it reproduces. That's when it reproduces. Yeah. So when you put them – so if you go and catch a swarm that happens to have a bee or two that has an AFB in it and you'll put it on already drawn foundation, uh, an already drawn comb, they put their honey in and you've just given yourself AFB. 
They might let them build the comb. Yeah. If you put if you put a swarm on foundation or whatever way you wish to do it, but you make them draw the comb, they must utilize all the honey they have. And that's why when they swarm, that's what they do. They gorge themselves with honey to have enough there to build the wax when they get to their new location. Um yeah, that's fascinating what you're saying there, and it makes my mind think. Well, is there an antidote to AFB? And I, I, I know the answer is probably no, um, but some people do the shake, and they'll shake all the bees out and give them new comb. Yes. And... So myself and Ali practice cold pressing. So when so this is why I do it um, because I had that AFB and I was like, what. The what the hell like how can I avoid this and I think that the cleaner their wax or the less likely um that they're, they're going to contain a spore so I rotate brood so every time I get into my hives I pull two yep. to three frames of capped brood into my super I give them fresh sheets down below where they have to draw them out to lay in them yep. they will then hatch um hatch the brood in the super uh pop honey in it and then I come along I take the whole frame and cold press the whole lot um yeah that's so I, I that was just me thinking aloud um and that's so far yeah. that's um, that's been all right uh, for me yeah before Varroa got here I I studied AFB quite a bit and would you know yeah. look at chat groups and how and I think in in treatment free bees on an overseas site there were people saying that if you had AFB, you could shake all your bees out. Yeah, and then... it's called a chook swarm. Yeah. And, yeah, you shake them all on the foundation. You keep them isolated for eight weeks and check it again. Now, I have the heard problem... that too. Yeah, it does work, right? The problem is when you shake all your bees out the front of the, the new hive that you have all foundation, uh, a certain amount of honey is out the front. So it only works when there is a, a, a major honey flow and the conditions are right. So you can't do that in the middle of winter. And is it illegal to do that method? It is illegal because it's not an approved yeah, method. In, yeah. 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 Right. So, so the only approved look, sorry. The only yep. approved method in Australia by our biosecurity standards is um, dig a hole, put your girls like the whole hive inside, you put your bees you to sleep. Them. And you burn the whole lot, you burn the tools, you burn everything. And then not only that, you have to bury it in that hole. Um, that is biosecurity standards. And you have to, by law, bring them and say, I've had AFB. They'll ask you how you handled it. They used to send someone out to tick it off. Now, I think it's so prevalent. They're like, oh, yeah, you've, yeah, you've done everything you've done. right. You, you don't, yeah. You are also allowed to euthanize the bees and send it for gamma radiation. Oh, yes. Also a, a vaccine now for AFB. Yeah, oh, I yeah. think it's that's coming. It's called fire. Yeah, it's called Red Hat Matchbox and a bit of petrol and goes, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, okay. Sorry. Yeah, the vaccine. So... Um, you explain it, Simon. Is this the one where you um, feed the queens? Yes. Yeah, yeah, it came from America and, and like, um, don't take this the wrong way, um, but I um, aren't um, a big fan of Big Pharma 
and I felt the whole stories on the vaccine for bees and AFB may have been a way of promoting the other vaccines that everyone else was getting at the time. And um, because the way I read it, it wasn't actually a vaccine as we know it because it involved feeding feeding yeah. the hive something and and then seeing if if, if the colony dealt with the, the virus right. in a low dose or something. Okay. So to actually fill you in on a few things, I'm going to ask a question and the three of you can answer me on this. How many strains of AFB is there? Just the, well, there's EFB and AFB, but it's just AFB no. is one strain, right? No, there is six different types of AFB. Wow. Right. We have three in Australia. Three are not in Australia. Wow. So this, this, this antidote that you're actually talking about, Simon, I'm, as people are aware of me, I'm on AgriFutures, and we investigated to see if it was worthwhile looking at for Australia. Mm -hmm. Now, it works only 30% of the time. So when you feed, so the idea is to feed the queen, feed the queen, feed the queen, um, and then she's to build up an antibody, uh, antibodies for it, rah, 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 and pass it on. Now, if it's only a 30% chance of it happening, it's too low for us. Mm -hmm. Right? Now, if it was 60% or higher, we would back it. That's why we never backed it. Now, as the research continues, we, we are following it along. But does it cover the different strains that we have in Australia? And they couldn't answer us. They couldn't tell us what strains they're testi testing it on. So this is a problem. Um, yeah. Uh, if it doesn't yeah. work on our strains, then it's not going to work here. And, and you, you probably answered it very simply to begin with. If you're feeding a liquid to queen bees, it's not a vaccine anyway, is it? That's right. And it's a hit and miss. Yeah. So you've got to then test the queen to make sure that she is, um, like her offspring are AFB. Um, I don't know what you would say. Um, immune. Vaccinate, immune. That's it. Immune to. Um, how do you do that? Yeah. Is it worth it? Is it not? Um, yeah. There's a lot to it. So we were concerned that people would. Um, utilise this and think that they're free or have AFB-free queens and people would end up with AFB and would not know it. And that um, would be a bigger problem. I did something, and I guess a lot of beekeepers have suggested to do it, which is do the DPI's course on, um, on, on managing bees. And one thing I, I, that struck me was there's a barrier system and you you might go what you know into more what the barrier system is but from my understanding it is keeping the frames that you're taking out next to back into the hives that you get them from and yep. and marking them yep. and then knowing that um, someone might have a spinner with you know 50 or 100 frames wouldn't that honey getting spun, flicking all around, contaminate every frame equally in that spinner? Okay. 
once the, you're right, you're 100% right. And this has been, um, so we're going to go back a little bit in history. Sorry, guys. Um, when has there ever been a barrier system in history of the bee? The most promiscuous bee is the drone. He's going from hive to hive and he'll range a lot further than a normal forager bee because he's looking for virgin queens to mate with. Right now, I know that okay, he doesn't, he does not carry nectar and he does not do this or anything else. But the thing is, what happens if there's spores on his feet? There's spores on his body. Right, so that's one area there. Once honey is above the usually brood, um, if it's in a wild hive, um, they they seal it. They they put it there for storage. You know, so when it comes through an extraction plant, all that way, so I've gone from history to now to modern, there's a very low chance of the bees catching AFB from the extraction. Once again, it only takes a lapse of concentration and your frames are all mixed around. I still, I strongly... And I'll say I do not run a barrier system and I run thousands of hives. I watch very, very closely my hives. Now, Steph said something before, which I hope a lot of people take notice of. Be observant. If there's something right with your bees, investigate it. Look further. Don't have the she'll be right, mate, attitude. Pull a frame out of the bottom box and have a look. If they're not um, producing honey. I, I was, and I'm sure you've got this skill, um, but I was walking around with a commercial beekeeper and he had chalk with him yep. and we probably walked across a thousand hives and he chalked off, you know, 80 hives and, yep. and um, he, you know, it was for a friend or something yep. and he said, you know, this poor bastard's riddled with AFB you know, even though it was 40 out of, you know, 500 or something. Mm. And he's trying to sell sell everything, you know, who's going to buy his AFB problem, you know, and, and, and that was what he said. But what I took from there, whether, whether they were queenless or whatever, he, he was very good at being able to observe from the front of the hive. Yep. Your chives were sick. And That's right, yeah. No, I, I can do Oh, that. you definitely, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, so I could, these ones he marks that would be put down. Yeah, the only thing I can't tell the difference between is when they're carrying water and when they're carrying nectar. Mm. I, I can tell you if a hive's sick. I can usually tell you if a hive's um, to what degree it is or something like that um, pretty well. I don't need to open a hive. I can just walk through an apiary. But I many, many years of looking at it. Um but sorry, to finish off the other question, so going back to the barrier system, I think if you are a, a, a really good operator and you want to go down that path, I, I'm not against it, but you've got to remember when you break a frame, you don't just grab another one out of a box and put in. You've got to put a foundation in. Or as Steph's saying before about moving like frames up from the bottom and then putting a foundation in, that's a way of covering it. But 
when you have an operation that has multiple employees, all you need is one disgruntled employee just to put a box around the different way and there's your barrier system gone straight out the door. Yeah. So, and, yeah. And, and is it right that, that if you've got a spinner with 100 frames and the, you know, a couple of them have AFB or from a sick hive, yep. there's going to be contamination. Well, they will, but because it's above the excluder, usually the bees clean those up and don't Oh, it. yeah. Right, so uh, it's not a big issue usually when it's above the excluder. Oh, right? that's good to know. Yeah, yeah, it's it's when they're in the brood box. So it's your hive box, doesn't. That's right. It, it it's mm-hmm. not contaminated until those baby cells get AFB. So until yeah. that oh. spore is placed in the cell of a baby. Um, yeah. Yeah. So you're bound to. So what I've heard along the lines, which I do agree with it, um, is majority of sites like you're going to get small portions of AFB in honey um, regardless. And it is not an issue until that brood box gets infected. Um, That's right. Yeah. Well, yeah. The whole thing is that, look, we do, it's most probably, we've, we've all heard the saying that most people have cancer. It's only something that triggers. And what you heard me say before, it's winter time. So winter time, Stores or resources are very low, so the bees start opening up honey around the box. And that's why after winter, we usually always find the majority of our AFB. Mm. Oh, that makes sense now. Like, I've never um, really understood why commercial beekeepers are petrified of feral hives because I've always thought that some of the most healthy hives I've collected are from the wild um, in catching swarms and... I'm yep. thinking because they're not manipulated at all, um, they're probably less likely to carry the diseases of of a commercial hive. It's always probably scared me more if a commercial hive it's but, it's come out. Yeah. Um, but you know, you know, talk, talking about it in that way, when when stores are, you know, maybe a commercial bee, beekeeper has low stores and goes somewhere and yep. and um, the feral hives they they rob them and. Once AFB hits that system, maybe, maybe it does. You, you'd know more than me, Steve. Is does that become an issue? It becomes oh, a big yeah. issue. Big, so, big, big issue. Yeah. yeah. So when we go to an area and we find that, okay, if I come into an area and I get lit up, well, I don't go back to that area for six years. Mm. Now that sounds like, gee, that's a bit harsh, but it, it's. To try and get it out of the feral population, it takes at least six years. And and it's still a really, you're really, really scared to go back to that. Now, um, I've been in areas and, yeah, been lit up real bad. Now, when you do get lit up, it'll be a couple of hives this time and a couple of hives in another couple of weeks and another couple of hives. When you get a blanket, a whole apiary, 100 hives light up, that's when someone has baited you. That's mm-hmm. a completely different story. So the other thing is the biggest spreader of AFB is the person who has a full-time job and so many hives, like about two or 300 hives, and they can't manage them properly. Yes, yes, I'm right. glad you said that. that. <laughs> that's, the, that's the biggest spreader of AFB because... 
They're not relying on it as an income and they'll get to it when they do. And you've heard me say um, that's a puppy syndrome. Yeah. Now, this is where an uneducated beekeeper, and this is what I love about you girls, you are getting out there because education is paramount. 100%. Absolutely. Yeah. If we can, I, I'd love everyone to have hive, right? But, okay, not everyone wants to get educated. It's like I know how to paint a wall, but do I know how to paint a wall professionally? Now, bees, yes, I can go and get a box of bees and I can have them there and I might keep them for a couple of years. I might keep them for six months, whatever. You know, it, it, it takes education to get it right. Exactly. exactly. And just on that note, though, um, like... And early on in my piece, I rang um, a guy, you probably know him, Steve, Rob Manning. Yeah, I know Rob. Uh, yep. And um, at that stage, I, in my naivety, I'm like, well, how can they let, you know, 100,000 hives hit Victoria, merge up? Because I'd been reading about biosecurity and yep. I knew that moving hives around could cause disease. And and um, and I was worried about AFB, and he said, Simon and Varroa, and he yep. said, Australia, if they wanted to get on top of disease, it would. It's quite simple, and this yep. was before all the COVID stuff. But he said, you would just make a hive standstill, and yep. then get people to deal with it, and then that's how you deal with it. So that's obviously not going to happen because of our food system. That but, yeah, that's that's our biggest problem. But my my the biggest problem is is the migratory beekeeping, and and I've got people in my own area at the moment. I live on a peninsula on the Mornington Peninsula, and they're like, "Can we stop the almonds coming back to our area next year if Barroas hit the almonds?" Yep. And um, although because there are people out there, there are a lot of you know elderly Greek people, other people. I know they're not looking after their hives. They, they, I, I know because I'm picking up the swarms from their hives every year. Yeah, yep. and I'm not concerned about those guys because they're not moving them around. Right. So, okay, Simon, if I can say, a commercial migratory beekeeper, right? The last thing I want to do is have a swarm issue from my my hive because I'm losing a a bread queen and half my hive, which means that they will not be productive again for at least six months. Right? Is it would it be six months? Like depends on the conditions. Productive. Depends yeah. on the conditions. Now it's actually research has shown that twenty five percent of hives Sure, 25% of swarms don't survive. I'd, right. Like in terms of, I, I would agree with that if you've got thousands of hives or migratory beekeeping. Yeah. But because so, I've come from a rescuing bee, you yep. know, lifestyle, I never lose a swarm. No, but you have, you take them and you look after them. Well, it's because the, I think the intelligence of the hive itself yep. knows it's only going to swarm when it's got the resources around. That's when right. I have lost them is yep. when someone moves them, you know, to a higher ground or a different area. Area, yep. 
and and they haven't got that intelligence. Yeah. But they are such a brilliant creature that they work out, hey, hang on, you know, the, whether it's the daylight hours are getting longer or it, it, they've got the scouts saying the resources are there. Yep. The whole point of their existence and is reproduction and to swarm. That's right. And I think, you know, for me, it's probably one of the most beautiful parts of beekeeping yep. is watching them swarm, oh, like well, it, it, having it, a baby, catching it, and then watching their, you know, their baby thrive. And I've, you know, in, in watching natural beekeeping, have just thought, well, it, it, it's a shame if we lose that connection to realise how important swarming is. I, I totally agree with you. But what, on the other hand, as a commercial guy, I have to be on top of my hives because I don't want to keep losing my bees, either too feral or wherever. What? So what I need to do is give my bees room all the time, right? And mm. when I'm... When I remove that swarm situation yeah. out of the hive, I've then got to move my hive. So a swarm issues, it moves on a certain distance and then it will look for a suitable home, right? And I'm only trying to replicate that through my management of my hive and then moving it to resources. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and like... You know, the hippie side of the argument in regards to the difference between natural beekeepers, commercial beekeepers, yep. and the hardcore people on the other side I know is saying that type of swarm management um, where you knock out the swarm cells is, is like giving a hive an abortion. Yep. I'm and sorry. they argue that this... this um, Preach this amazing gift that the, the gods have given us. Are we honouring and respecting um, nature in a way if, if we're managing and intervening in that way? And and I'm conflicted in regards to that. Um, so can, uh, I'll come from another perspective. Um, <clears throat> so I'm pretty much a very natural beekeeper. I um, cold crush honey, rotate brood frames. I, I genuinely love my bees um and the way i work them um is very similar to steve um so i would so if so i continuously give my hives um room um i find that if they do make queen cups and they are quite a large hive i will do a split for them yep um, yeah. But in the way I do a split, I will remove the original queen from my big box. Yep. Um, and I find that this allows them to go through with making a baby in their yep. original hive. Um, but the numbers are a lot stronger. So we remember that a queen takes four to six weeks from egg to roaming the hive to going out on a mating flight and coming back. You want yep. the maximum amount of numbers with her, not your original queen. So when exactly I see, right. yep. So when I see a queen cup, I do, um, I do split my hive, um, but I give the 
the old queen the new little nuke box or depending on how big I split into a full box um, but I make sure she's nice and strong I do manipulate them purely based upon the fact of disease. So when you let your hive swarm, especially for me, because I'm in urban areas, um, yep. they can swarm at any point. Um, and yeah. I have found myself unable to catch, you know, certain swarms. Yep. Um, and I don't want them in people's houses um, purely based upon the fact they're not worked. They can get disease. And once the hive dies out of AFB, that then potentially puts my hives in close proximity of something where they will clean out, rob it out and bring it back to my apiary site. So in that aspect, I don't like swarming. I don't want people to have yep. bees in their house. I have personally seen multiple times people uneducated uh, spraying swarms of bees with yeah. bug spray. Um, and I've had to be like, yeah. what are you doing? Don't do that. I'm coming here to collect them like, like other people's swarms. Yep. And I've had to yep. pull them up and say, please don't spray them. I'm giving them a home and I'm taking them away and they're going to be safe with me. Um, yep. So I don't want to potentially put my girls at risk of somebody else doing that. Um, but definitely I don't murder um, I don't murder my queen cells if I don't have to. If, if I see yep. a hive as beautiful and strong, I will do a split, but I will do a split with the old queen. So I'm giving that younger, that, that virgin queen, the maximum amount of numbers I, I can to help her out until she returns. There is a little bit of a return time where you um, would watch them and monitor them, make sure your queen, your virgin queen comes back yep. from her flight. Um, it does, it needs a little bit of a time to pick back up. Um, but definitely. Well, it's a, it's a really um, tricky. Yeah. Exactly. Really. Because yeah. like, but obviously beekeeping has become quite cool and fashionable over, you know, maybe the last decade. It, it, it's taken that toll. And where the area I'm in is quite a touristy area with holiday houses. Yeah. A lot of people probably thought they'd just go, go and get bees. And um, I, you know, it, if you, carry on with these puppy scenario well they're not looking after their puppies at all and, they're <laughs> no. and no. i actually you know like for years it has been a delight to just go and be able to pick up swarms but as you guys know you know what do you set up a box for 150 dollars who's who's going to pay for that no yeah, the neighbor every year that gets a swarm at their house are they meant to pay for it um or yeah. is the person who owned the hive? How do you prove it's that person? It's actually been the, the beekeeping um, community around, you know, Australia should be celebrated in the fact that we've been dealing with those issues in a really natural way with swarm patrol. Oh, yeah. 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 I agree. Yep. And you know what, guys? We have had a very interesting pod because we've gone from Varroa to AFB to Swarm to now. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we've Not only variety, answered one guys. question. And, we've only, and that's exactly right. We've only gone one question. So question. I'll ask you because we will have to wrap this up. It's getting late for you guys. Okay. I have one more question for you. And sorry, guys, yep. for everyone who has sent in questions. So I think we'll address them next pod. Um, yep. It's just uh, one from our wonderful Michelle. And she just said to you, Steve, is there anything I should be doing now to prepare my hives against Varroa besides regular inspections? I live three hours south of Sydney. Okay. Um, at this point in time, three hours south of Sydney, no. Like, um, we, we do not have any indication of Varroa down there. 
-hmm. It's also going to be colder in winter, which means they're going to have brood breaks. Yeah. So we expect the brower most probably will hit there possibly next year. Yeah. Um, now that will be, and I'm sorry, people who are moving hives now because you are allowed to move in New South Wales. Once you detect Baroa, you are allowed to move that hive. Don't ask me to explain that. It just that defeats all purpose. But if at this point in time, don't use in uh, any miticides or anything like that. Just do your normal alcohol washes every well, I don't even like doing alcohol washes. I like to use a, a soapy water wash. Um, and I think it's, uh, oh, what is I it? I heard there's a special type of soap. I heard Randy. Yeah, low, yeah low, low sud. So it's a fairy tale or something like that. But look, a low, a low sud soap is the best to use in it. And um, it, it, it's safer to use than an alcohol wash. Uh, I know it does um, euthanize the bees, um, but if you do that every 16 weeks, that's the only way you can keep on top of it. A sugar roll is acceptable as well, but when you only have very, very, very low mite counts, um, you may not pick it up for 12 months. Okay. So my advice at this point in time is to just manage your hives every 16 weeks as per um, DPI instructions. Um, but don't try and put in miticide and think, ah, oh, I'll do this and I'll do that. That does nothing. Yeah. Okay. Um, That's and, and can you just confirm that there's no one who's actually lost hives to parole mite yet? Okay. There was one hive, one hive has been found dead. But they could not prove that it died from from brow mite. They done. They hives are being taken back into the old red zones. They done an alcohol wash the other day on. Um, I'll tell you the exact figures. So they've done a a um, a count on the. Oh, you go. Oh, radio on 328 bees, they got 277 bromite. Holy moly. Right, that means it has an 85.5% of infection rate. Now, this is, um, this is, this is where it's been introduced back into. So that's showing that all the baiting that they've done and all that was useless. Nothing. Exactly. So, but the hive is strong. Why? Because we don't have the viruses. The broa mite will kill a certain amount of these, but it will not kill the hive. Right. And, and is that something we should be buoyant about, or is that something that we should be like, oh, the viruses are imminent and then it's going to be really bad? Right. Viruses are imminent. When? Mm -hmm. I can't tell you. It's not a matter of if, it is when. How, so this how, do, they, how do they get in? If, okay. So that would be on this an is, infected varroa, wouldn't it? So It's either an infected brower, 
seaman, right, a queen that comes in for that even though she's in quarantine, if she carrying carrying the the viruses and they don't detect it, right? Well, surely so, you've got to ban, ban all. You know, can't we learn from our mistakes? Shouldn't we ban? Well, demon well it, it, is, it is banned. Um, it is illegal to um, to transport anything live, whether it be bee semen or queens. It's illegal still. Um, no, but there's permits. They've been running there. Yeah. What? For, yeah, they've yeah. for ages. They've been yeah, bringing you can it in. Import, you can bring an import. You can bring a queen into the quarantine into the insectary. Kidding me. Have uh, we not and, learned and, yet? Have we? Uh, okay. No, but this is the problem, though. It's um, it's, it's a true Aussie way. She'll be right, mate, until it's here, and then go, yeah. oh, how did that get here? And then they shit but, bricks. Yeah, and then they want to point finger at everyone. Yeah. Um, like, exactly what Simon said. Like, we could cure a lot of our problems if we could have a standstill. And let's go back to COVID. We couldn't even get people to stay in their own states. You know, and they wanted to go to football matches and they wanted to go to whatever and they and they just spread it. Anyway, this is the thing. If we could um, lock down an area and have, absolutely have no movements at all, nothing come in, then we could eradicate a lot of biosecurity issues. But as soon as you open that border again, but, uh, like well, just in this example, though, so yep. we've not had varroa, you know, or we compare it to New Zealand or whatever. We 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 were the last continent yep. standing. What yep. now? We're the last. We we do have varroa, but we yep. haven't got the viruses. Yep. Um, couldn't we? Can't we be? Attempting to go without having the viruses, shouldn't that be a major okay. focus? So, so let me just clear you up on a couple of these. Some of these viruses we have had in the past, mm. right? So, like Kashmir um, paralysis, and we eradicated that, right? Now, that's okay. Just because at the moment it is not showing up doesn't mean Australia is free. It does not, all it means it has not found its way into our present honeybee industry. Is the form so, wing virus the really scary one? Is that the. Yeah, yeah it's pretty is, bad. Yep. And yeah. is that, is, is it possible that that virus is already in Australia? They don't know because they haven't seen it up in. And I, look, I've asked some of the leading scientists on this and they said it's definitely not here in Australia. But we don't know. It could be right up the top of Australia. Um, but, and sorry for asking so many questions, Steve, but um, does that mean if we're importing queens from overseas that might have um, varroa resistance, are we risking also bringing in deformed wing virus? 100%. 100%. Um, yeah. So there's a guy, I don't know, like a, a queen breeding association. I've been watching their stuff and <clears throat> I, you've got a, I think it's Richard Sims, one of the guys who has been, they've been saying, bring in the drone brood, uh, the drone semen, bring in the, um, the well, queen from overseas. 
Yep. And like I just, you know, I'm a bit hippie-ish. Like don't muck around with nature. Don't muck around with nature. But um, it is a risk. And it, 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 so far, quarantine's wise in, in the fact that they've halted that program. Okay. If we want to stop Varroa, why not just bring in Africanized bees? Um, well, what I'm, I think we're discussing here, if we haven't lost hives to Varroa yet, that, that, yeah, that's, Varroa yeah, right. isn't, so, is, isn't the, the worst risk. The, the worst risk is the, the viruses that um, Varroa can, can circulate. Exactly. So New Zealand didn't have viruses when it first got, uh-huh. when it first got uh, Varroa. But How did they get in sudden, there? Well, they believe through the semen. Uh-huh. Right, and this is what the problem. So we have identified that. But as I was saying, what you're saying, Simon, and sorry, I wasn't trying to be sarcastic when I said about yeah. Africanized bees. Yeah. But the thing is, the biggest thing about Varroa is hygiene. Now, this hygienic cleaning um, gene, right, Varroa sensitive gene, is just that they can smell it. So if you go and have a look at an Apris serrana, the Asian honeybee, their drone caps all got a little hole in them. And they believe that that is so that the bee can smell if there's brower in it. Oh, wow, that's clever. All right. Now, if we could breed that into our bees, once again, I know we're mucking with genes, but they could actually smell it. So this um, hygiene-sensitive gene is just you spray it on and if they can smell it, they clean that cell out, get rid of it, and the varroa goes with it. The thing is, though, Africanized bees, and this is where we go to feral bees as well, are usually that little bit more aggressive. So if something comes into a hive, they want to get rid of it. They're always cleaning, you know what I mean? But the problem is you've got to put up with an aggressive bee then. Well, um, yeah, Ben's... Ben told me when he was researching Varroa in Europe and he said, yeah. mate, I had to wear be- two bee suits sometimes. And yeah. that was this, you know, that's what, what ended up happening. That's right. The, uh, so, so our main thing is, once again, as I said, we are focused on Varroa. We've got to be looking left and looking to our right and not letting anything sneak up and go, oh, gee whiz, now we've got viruses. Yeah. Yeah. Well, are you like in in terms of where you sit in in the pollination industry? Um, yep. Uh, are you putting forward? And I, and I wish people listened to you from the start, Steve. But uh, <laughs> hopefully, they're listening to you now. Yep. Um, are, you, are you against the importation at the moment of drone sperm and um, of queen bees in okay. regards to viruses? So- what we we've actually commissioned, and I and I I was one of the people who approved it. I want to make a hundred percent right that it is not being imported through drone semen or queen bees. So, in other words, if you wish to have either of those imported into Australia, they have to be tested first. <coughs> Excuse me. That that way we can make sure that it's clean. We need to keep. We need to keep our um, uh, diversity coming in as well, but we don't need to bring them in just for the sake of it. Once again, it's going to be someone and 
or somehow a swarm off a boat or someone who thinks that they're above everyone else and go, oh, well, I'll just take some semen in. What will it hurt? Yeah. Mm. That's a problem. That's People don't realise it. Um, anyway, these are things that we've got to stop. So, But we've got to keep our eyes open for it. Yeah. So if we can prove scientifically, because there has been a lot of doubt that how can how can a virus be transmitted? Well, there's lots of viruses, there's lots of STDs, everything else that are transmitted through different interactions. Uh, so we're, we've got that all underway. We're hoping that later on this year, I don't know if it's early next year, might be the raw report will be coming out. And that's why there's been, everything's been stopped. All the drone semen's been stopped, everything like that. So at the time, we are aware of it. So we are trying to do something about it. Um, I guess on that note, the only other thing that is a bit worrisome is that if bees can survive with such high mite counts, that it's yep. probably going to um, make them be able to spread the, the mite more if there's more mites around. Well, this is a problem. But if you have an infection rate like that and you can't see it, then you're not looking. Right. And if you did have an infection rate like that, um, you know, like just it's, it, I'm just visualising a kid with a heap of head lice or something. But oh, not um, my head lice again. <laughs> would, 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 would you, um, you know, if it was that high, would you would you think killing the hive is 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 the nicest thing to do, or would would you treat if you had a huge mite count like that? Okay, if, if... If that was my hive, and one thing at the moment I'm going to say, and maybe this could be a, a big lesson for a lot of people, while we don't have the viruses, if you have the opportunity, unfortunate opportunity, of having varroa mite, learn to live with the varroa mite. Learn to manage varroa mite before the viruses get here. Okay? That's half the battle. So don't just kill your hive. Don't just kill your hive. So if I had that hive, I would get miticide strips, right? Mm. And I would give it a treatment and see how it responded. Now, if it didn't respond, what do I have to do? Because this ain't going to be the first hive like this. And in a large operation, even Steph's um, operation, that once it gets to that stage, the last thing you want to be doing is throwing chemicals in and things like that and doing nothing. If it is easier to euthanize a over-infested hive, it's the same as AFB, right? It's got to be managed right, handled right, and dealt with right. But if we can turn around and say, right, we'll remove that queen. We just take the queen and we remove her for six weeks. In other words, the hive goes broodless. It's still functioning. And we can turn around and after eight weeks, there's no brood. We can then also possibly use some organic, um, I think it's pyrethrum um, substances 
that will get rid of the, or even just using uh, grapefruit leaves and rhubarb leaves, which yeah. is, you could smoke them out, which will make the mites drop out, and then you reintroduce your queen. Yeah, that's an interesting method. So we should probably do a whole episode on, on <laughs> yeah. that as, and as, I think... as things start to evolve. Well, yeah, talk, and that's something talk, I think we can definitely yeah. move on because, I mean, we've gone from Varroa to AFB to Varroa and yeah. um, it's been yeah. a very interesting circle. But <laughs> um, I think we will wrap this up. So thank you so much, Simon. Thank you so much, Steve oh, yeah. and Steph, for your time. And we'll be chatting to you in the next couple of weeks.